coming up in this episode. And culture as well. It's not just, I think often people think culture is just, is it a happy place to work? Mm. Um, culture means way more than that, right? It's like, do you take risks as a company? Do you give people opportunities? Do you give them autonomy uh, to work uh, mm. in the way that they want to work? Do you give them chances? Is there the ability for them to, you know, uh, um, get promoted at, you know, a faster rate than other companies? So I think this, this culture term can be a bit, Fluffy. Don't think that in B2B SaaS, your direct direct competitors are in the same industry as you. It's everyone in B2B mm-hmm. SaaS now is your direct competitor because everyone's vying for the same portion of the budget, you know, mm-hmm. the the overall company budget. Um, so, you know, whether you're in wellness or you're in sales enablement or whatever it is you're doing, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're in com- competition with one another for, for that money these days because of everyone's, you know, being very, very lean in the way that they operate. We've had situations with our portfolio companies where the founders are like, I really want to build an app. I really want to build this, we're going to build that. And we're like, well, why? You know, we are challenging them to say, why do you want to do that? Oh, because of this. Or, you know, I don't want to launch because I want to build these three or four features first. Why? You know, whereas um, a typical agency model would just be build the features because, you know, they're going to get paid for it. The Founders Unplugged podcast, hosted by Greg McCallum. Raw, uncensored conversations with startup founders. No so um so look it's great to get you on i've been trying to get you on for a while now mm-hmm. so uh so thanks for jumping on so but but before we get into it i'll kind of um talk about uh just very briefly the only bit of structure in this entire shit show of a show that we've got going on today um because it is pretty you know unscripted it's just a chat kind of sure. thing but there is one bit i like to do up front which is just ask my guests if they wouldn't if they would be so kind to just introduce themselves a bit about what they do and then i have some questions for you that i'd like to so yeah, delve in a bit more about you and what you do. And while you're talking, I might share my screen, you know, your profile, your website and stuff like that, if that's okay with you. So go yeah, ahead. Okay, so I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Founder and Lightning. So we are a venture studio and we partner with founders to build out their tech companies. So we started about eight years ago um, and we've always been predominantly focused on supporting non-technical founders, founders who don't code, however you kind of want to call it. Mm. Um, Because essentially my background before then, I took over my family business when I was pretty young, dropped out of university at the age of 19 to take over my family business, which was a analog, AKA offline company that sold musical instruments. So I was a musical instrument retailer, it supplied to councils around the country. It had a shop, it had a music school, and I changed the name and digitized it. And I am a founder who doesn't code. So I went through all the pains and struggles of doing that. Um, you know, freelancers, agencies, I looked at accelerators, and essentially none of them were great for me. None of them particularly worked particularly well. I think I went through three or four two or three agencies one or two freelancers you know got let down a lot of a lot of time um but throughout that process as a founder who doesn't code i learned how to build a product how to um how to take something to market kind of made all the mistakes that you can make um which which was kind of sucked at the time but now and in looking back it's been it's allowed me to start this business so people in my network coming up to me and, and saying look you've just digitized that business perhaps you could help me digitize mine and that's really how founder and lightning was born so from the start we 
were never set up to be an agency. We always wanted to be a proper partner. And I'm sure a lot of people say spill like that, but we genuinely do. And the reason, the way we do that is that we have equity in pretty much every single founder that we work with. Very rare that we don't. Uh, and the business model before, uh, until about a year ago, was that we would discount our fees in return for equity. So typically we discount our fees by you know, 15, 20%, and that converts into some equity. So we did that 30 odd times over the first seven, seven years of the business. Uh, and then about a year ago, we um, pivoted the model. So we've now raised a fund and we're raising another fund at the moment so that we can actually directly invest into the companies that we work with um, rather than just purely on the discounted of, of, of fees model. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And it's, uh, thank you for mentioning what you did there about um, about your parents' business, because I remember seeing some posts about that, and I was going to ask about because you, you you did mention on a few occasions that you digitized the business and yeah. very early on in your career. So tell me a bit more about that, because I'm interested in that. Because of um, I, you know, I had my little foray into into the uh, music industry early on in my career too, um, albeit not particularly successfully. But um, uh, yeah. so yeah, tell me a bit more about that. What what, what do you mean by you digitize the business exactly? Because of you know, I think that we could we could just think, okay, well, that's bringing it up to sort of modern modern day requirements you know building a website this sort of that and the other what, yeah. what, what was it so that you really we build? had we had um i mean we actually in hindsight this was a mistake we okay. built everything from we built everything custom mm. and yeah, what we, this is going back about eight years ago you were no no this is this is um uh you know 12 13 years ago right okay when i when i first started doing it built everything from scratch mm maybe even longer, maybe 15 years ago. Um, everything from scratch, we had a, like a logistics platform, a, a musical instrument rental platform, because we were rent, we were helping some councils to um, to sort of digitize their, their rental uh, part of their business as well. So right. if, you're like, if you're a kid at a, a council and you get, um, you get given or you have to pay for a musical instrument for some councils, we were running that program for them. Mm. So, Built that from scratch. Built the logistics platform from scratch. Built the built the um, the e-commerce platform from scratch. In hindsight, huge mistake. Took too long. Um, there was probably loads of other things on the market that we could have used and just tweaked for our own. So you know the, that really good learning back then. You know even now, obviously, if you're looking to build a a startup, the odds that you need to immediately start coding are really low, and you might be able to build something really small and scrappy just to prove concept or through no code or or low code so good learning um so yeah i, I kind of look back at that period and you know made a ton of mistakes and a load of things i wished i did differently but if i wouldn't have gone through that period and gone through that process i wouldn't have just simply learned the stuff that i learned and it's not just mm. about building products it's how to run cash flow how to work with suppliers how to do customer service how to do sales calls you know it's mm. all those things so um it's probably yeah, the founder the founder skill set right the, the founder skill set well-rounded uh diverse set of skills that you need to to manage all of that yeah i think it's just a really stressful way of doing it doing a version of an mba um, right yeah <laughs> probably probably you know as expensive or more expensive as well than doing an mba mm. you know yeah, it was, yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a tough few years uh, in a particularly difficult industry as well. You know the, the, mm. that that industry is extremely low margin. Um, you know, and actually, it's like any retailer, right? What is your what is your uniqueness? You're selling somebody else's 
is ultimately selling somebody else's goods and that's why we, we you know we try to diversify into doing things like running the, the the rental departments for councils or we actually ended up bringing our own um our own brand of saxophone in um mm. which we which we got from china and that was actually that was actually pretty successful um and that was a really interesting uh, experience to go through because the margin obviously rather than being i mean the margins were terrible in the industry mm. gross margin and this is a long time ago so this is what I remember it being was 15% or 20% pops, yeah. really low, really low gross margin, sometimes 10% on some of the big, big brands. And then suddenly mm -hmm. you go to 70, 80, 90% or bring in your own thing in. So, you know, a few learnings, if I was to do it again, I would double down and focus on that. Um, mm -hmm. Cause that part was really good, but we needed the rest of the business cause we got grown, grown the rest of the business quite big. You know, that wasn't enough to prop up the rest um yeah. but i would have i would have toned down the retail side the online retail side which is the bit that we grew i, mean, I think i think we got it you know we got it up with about uh, 10 15 20 staff something like that you know a couple of million pounds in turnover but to compete with anyone in that industry you had to be doing eight to ten million in turnover and right. it was it was just too difficult but um i was glad to get out of that industry and glad that the learnings that i took from that industry i could take into what i'm doing now which is essentially like i say a similar thing it's building products with founders mm. um and taking those exact same learnings so you know the 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 reason startups fail or product launches fail is is fundamentally for the same reason over and over again right it's it's that the problem the founder thinks they're solving doesn't exist or it's a nice to have you know it's a it's a vitamin not a painkiller mm. The timing is wrong. They're too early or too late. I think it's probably often more too early rather than yeah. too late. Um, wrong team, you know, so they've got the wrong people building their platform or they don't have the skill sets to do it mm. or, they, or they run out of cash. So those fundamental, you know, key tenants of, of, of strands, reasons why product launches and startups consistently fail, that's what we wanted to mitigate. So we wanted to you know, be a venture studio that was able to mitigate risk for us, of course, because we're shareholders, for the founders, of course, because too many startups fail, and that's bad for the UK economy, and that's bad for founders, uh, and also for investors. You know, we want we want to mitigate the risk because we're trying to build a, a model where investing into startups doesn't have to be quite as risky. We're trying to be, you know, a little bit different to a typical VC where they may be looking for moonshots to prop up the rest of their portfolio mm. we're looking more to build a bunch of sustainable companies that all have the potential to exit for tens of millions rather than hundreds of millions if some of them exit for hundreds of millions we're certainly not going to complain or or, course, yeah. or push back on that but our model isn't reliant on that you know we've mm. built uh, with over 40 companies now you know we will do 10 a year we'll do another 10 next year we'll do another 10 year after that another 10 after that so in five years time we'll have, maybe have 100 I've got no interest in having a having a hundred portfolio companies, ninety of them failing and ten of them doing great. You know that mm. just won't be a nice experience for us because we work so closely with these founders that that's just not a very nice experience. You know, we are ingrained in their business. We are mm -hmm. more than just going to a board meeting every three months, working with them every single day. So I think it makes good economic sense that it's slightly different to a typical VC model, but also it's just um you know i want it to be uh i want it to be fun <laughs> and for it to be fun i, I need I, I want less of them to fail 
yeah and 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 not having the stress that goes with that um i suppose is also uh, exactly. Making it fun as well. So, so you mentioned there that it's um you, you're working with them every day. So, so what does that re what does that look like practically speaking? Um, you know, let, let, let's let's maybe start sort of at the beginning of a journey of of someone working with you. I assume that I mean you you of course have to select them uh presumably before you know uh, vet them and there's a process there just like with any other fund I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but then let's say you you decide to work with them. What what's then the, the process the, what's the roadmap that you're laying out across across the team and across their team so we have a very very specific thesis that mm. um that we that we work with so we will really only unless there's a very rare case work with one of two two use cases this is for fnl capital which is where we invest we still do have our old model where we discount our fees in return for equity but we do that very rarely I think we have only done that twice this year so far right it'll have to it'll have to be a founder that we really love but isn't in quite the right thesis fit for our for our for fnl capital but we still really want to work with them um so i'll just talk mainly about fnl capital because i think that's the most useful for this conversation and it's what we do the most of um mm. so one of two things either the founder has a very scrappy mvp that is doing a little bit of revenue that they now want to industrialize, they want to scale. So it could be that they've built something on no code. It could be that they've got spreadsheets. It could be that they've used an agency and they've built something scrappy. And now, you know, the scale is starting to be a problem. And they don't have to be doing tons and tons of revenue. Um, we prefer if they're doing, you know, north of 10K a month, but we have done stuff a little bit less than that. But we just really want to show that and prove that they've got something. We're not investing mm -hmm. at the stage where it's ideation. They might not be a full product market fit yet. We can help them get there. Um, but, you know, they, they've, they've got something there. So it's either that or the second thing is that we're digitizing offline companies. So a company that has got revenue, we want them to have proper product market fit at this point. But this is product market fit in an analog sense rather than a tech sense. So it could be that they're still going to be using some kind of platform. You know, they might be using spreadsheets, they might be using WordPress, but they've got what we call a proper business there. You know, they, if the tech, if they didn't build the tech, they could still build that business to a nice exit. What we're coming in really with the tech is, is, is an additive. It's something that's, that's on top. So an example of that is, is, is um, uh, a company that we invested into about six months ago called Cake Drop. They are perishable goods, uh, perishable goods for corporates. So they've actually owned their own bakery and they provide customized cakes to uh, corporates so they did that with wordpress they did that with spreadsheets and we're building basically we're building technology to turn them into a subscription business but there's a proper business under there um, um so that's that that's kind of the two different angles that we like to go down and then in terms of the founder fit they you know they need to be either, either a domain expert or they've been doing it for long enough so that they're now a domain expert right um and typically they are founders that don't code because we are the CTO and the CPO. We have done some stuff recently with, with founders that do have a couple of developers that they're working with. And I'll explain why in a sec. Um, they need to be very commercial. They need to be able to sell. And really we're, we're really looking for, you know, how much progress have they made in the time period from which they started? Are they humble? Will they listen? But they're also confident. And that's a real, that's a real balance for us because we want mm. confident founders that can sell but ultimately, you know, we are, we've been doing this for almost a decade. We kind of know how to do the product and the tech bit. We're looking for, for founders that are going to listen and take, take guidance as well. So that's a, 
that's a tough balance to find but so that's the features yeah. of the type of companies we're looking for which we we think is a little bit different to what's out there um and the type of founders as well in terms of the process um once they start once they come into our our pipeline you know we can usually very quickly say whether they're going to go through to the next step we send them a bunch of questions um yeah again if they go past the next step after that we then invite them in for a workshop if both sides want to work with each other after that then we go into what we call a discovery which is typically a two to three week period and off the back of that we'll we'll make the investment decision so that two to three week period is is time for our product management team to spend time with the founder our tech team our vc team we're doing market research we're talking to their customers we are working out with the founder what it is that we'll build together so that we're completely aligned so it's really mm -hmm. quite in-depth um dd i think definitely more dd than a typical angel would do um mm. you know and maybe not less in-depth or more in-depth than a vc but maybe slightly different because we're very much focused right. on the product you know and the and the customers um and then if we start working with each other then that's it we invest and we and, and we start working with each other and typically the money that we put in will get the founders roughly six months worth of work with the venture studio team and we do have the ability to invest um more for working capital as well not just um, recycle back into our venture studio team uh, into mm -hmm. our venture studio and then we have the ability to follow on invest after six months as well for the ones that are doing uh, sort of gaining the traction that we want them to have mm. that's interesting because there, there's a couple of times when you were explaining that that you mentioned about how important it is for the for the founder to have a sort of a, a commercial track record right to understand sales and all that. that's, yeah. that's interesting that that's such a i mean it kind of makes sense that, that would be such an important part of it you're you're bringing the tech side of things to the table so they need to at least bring that that's you know um and, and you know as a commercial advisor that's something that i'm I, I suppose i'm trying to help the opposite side of which is you know people who have neither or maybe have the the the, the, the technological side but don't have the commercial side which is there's a lot of too right yeah of course um, do, do, do you um do you find that uh that, that there are many founders out there that, that match that profile because it seems to me quite difficult at the moment at least um for the most the vast majority of the founders i speak to to really feel like they they're confident in in the sort of commercial side of things re regardless of what other experience they have that seems to be the one they struggle with the most but um, just be my, my current vantage point you know clearly um, i'm biased i guess i guess we've done yeah we've done over 40 i think only one of those founders is a trained salesperson that came from a sales back actually that's not true two 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 or three tops yeah you know, literally have done it's sales. Going mostly from doing it right that's where the yeah the I, I think i think there's things that you can pick up on right you can how do they sell themselves in the dd process how do they explain their proposition right um if they're a domain experts you don't need to sell you just be passionate about the domain you know mm -hmm. and then naturally it's almost better to not be a a trained commercial person because then you know you're not you're not sleazy <laughs> yeah, right? yeah and um, you have any bad habits from it yeah yeah, but, so, yeah so so i think i think we're looking for natural salespeople, not necessarily trained salespeople. um yeah, yeah. you know and good communicators i mean that's really what it comes down to a, a, an excellent founder is someone who's just an excellent communicator in my view and and that yeah that's a natural salesperson because that's 90 percent of what sales is in a way in my view so yeah and, and like i say if they're a domain expert you know they know their industry inside out then right they shouldn't really necessarily have to sell it's why it's why it's a big reason why we, we focus on b2b as well so our, our fund never invests into b2c um mm. we just we believe of course there are amazing b2c businesses that can be built it's not our massive area of expertise we, we can build the tech for it no problem 
um, and we mm. do do it on our the other the other business model that I spoke about before, where we discount our fees in return for equity. We still do do that sometimes, but for me, what's great about B two B businesses is that as the founder, you can you can sell. You know, you're not relying on yeah. on P, on PPC. You know, you're not relying on um, you know risk risky marketing. You can ultimately yeah. your overhead base is you. And you can working with a dodgy marketing agency from Fiverr yeah. or like yeah 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 because you, you, you're still you're still in, you don't have to encounter some of the similar issues as um as trying to build something by hiring freelancers and not knowing what works what doesn't people's track records you're kind of in the same boat then yeah exactly exactly yeah. um but no I think I think there are a lot of founders out there that are, are natural salespeople and maybe they don't realise it um, yeah obviously we're bringing the tech and the product bit right so if they can't if they can't do the the, the sales bit then you know probably shouldn't it, be a founder shouldn't be a founder and it's not to say that <laughs> yeah. they can't it's not to say they can't get better or improve and there's mm. as you say, people like yourself there's tons of people out there that can help you help you but you have to be a bit of a natural you don't have to be the you don't have to be the polished article to work with us um we're, we're, we're looking past that but you've got to you've got to show that you can naturally sell and communicate as you say and um because that goes all the way down it's not just to your customers it's to your investors it's to us mm. it's to your team you know, if you're going to scale a, a company to tens of millions, you're going to have to be able to employ, you know, a minimum probably of 30 people, right? Mm. You know, so how are you going to be able to get them behind a vision and uh, and get them all working in the right direction? As you say, it all comes down to communication. That's the key word, isn't it? Vision. It's like, you know, being able to communicate the vision to people properly in a way which is succinct and gets people excited and just like hopefully some somewhere close to as passionate as they are as a founder. Right. That's that's the goal, isn't it? So, yeah. so tell me a bit more about this other model so that you said this is the model that, that you started on originally then. So um, offering uh, a discount for your services in return for equity. So that that's that, is that how, how you actually founded Founder of Lightning originally on that on that project, was it? Yeah, correct. So never wanted to okay. have an agency. Never wanted to be an agency where you just do work, you know. Like a traditional software house. Traditional kind of software house. Right. You know, we do do a bit with corporates on that side, and that is something that we will scale up over time. Mm. Um, but it was it wasn't why we started the business. It's it's right. something that we've that we've grown into, and actually we enjoy doing. But there's no point doing that with a startup. You know, if you're going to do that, it needs to be with a corporate um, who. You know, frankly, can pay can, can can pay you fees that make it worthwhile. Um, you know, a startup, unless you're bought in on the equity side, I don't know why an agency would ever work with one because it's the the, the incentives are completely misaligned. The agency just needs to make money and profit, and the startup and the startup founder needs to build a successful business. And in my view, that that's not aligned unless the unless the studio business has some kind of equity in it because you know it's just natural human instinct that. The studio is going to want to build more features, you know, keep things going longer than maybe it should do, not launch too, not not launch too quickly, you know, wait for perfect, all that, all all the, all the reasons why I spoke about at the start of this call was why startups fail, you know, I don't think that the incentives are aligned in the typical agency model to to set that relationship up for success you know we've had situations with our portfolio companies where the founders are like, i really want to build an app i really want to build this i want to build that and we're like well why you know we are challenging them to say why do you want to do that oh because of this or you know i don't want to launch because i want to build these three or four features first why you know whereas um a typical agency model would just be build the features because you know they're going to get paid for it so mm. it's just natural natural human instinct so we never wanted to 
start up as a, tra a traditional agency it was always okay we'll do this but we want to take a bit of equity and, you know some of those ones are now seven eight years ago and they're now getting to the point where they've raised series a funding you know some of them at sort of 15 20 million valuation hopefully they're on an exit trajectory now over the next two or three years some of them we're still working with um you know they they start to bring some of it in-house they might have the product team in-house they might have a few developers in-house and they're still using a bit of our services as well um, but we, we're, we're 100 plus people now in our company. So we are a team of product managers, designers, engineers, and then, you know, our strategic leadership team. So we can help, we can help portfolio companies throughout that whole journey. So at the early stage, but then also help them scale and help them kind of de-risk it by taking certain things in house over time. Um, I think that's, that's what makes us different to that typical agency model. Yeah, and it's a great model, but but and and it's it's very interesting what you said there as well about how, you know, essentially with the traditional software or a house slash agency model that there's there's not really the incentives there on either party to, to 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 sort of mitigate those those risks um, yeah. associated with with the early stage. It's interesting you say because I've worked with some founders in the past. There, there are very few of them out there, but I've worked with a couple who have just had the money. And have just said, I want to go out, find it, you know, I've got this idea, I want to yeah. build this thing, and they built it. And I've not seen a single one of those succeed as a result because they've built uh, without the constraints that, that right. you to really, you know, be frugal and 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 those boundaries that really force you to 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 be very picky with what it is that you decide to build. Those those constraints are very useful because when you've only got a, a very small budget to play with you have to think well we can only build a, a product with a very set amount of features i need to find out which features that my users want right, right. Um, whereas if you've got all the money in the world you just you keep building you keep adding features and then it's kind of death oh yeah it's, it's, you know. it, it happens far too often yeah um yeah again going back to the start of the call reasons why startups fail problem with their founder thinks you know they're solving doesn't exist right. as you say if you just keep building Oh, it hasn't got the traction it's got it's because it doesn't have enough features it's because it needs to do this okay who have you validated this with oh nobody it's just my gut instinct and yeah as a founder you're going to find an agency that's just going to keep taking money off you yeah you're gonna yeah. There's, that's there's exactly plenty. and that's exactly what happened they're more than happy it's, it's you know more hours more hours more hours yeah. they're, going to keep, they're going to keep doing it so yeah well i often give advice to founders and say you know if you are talking to a few different agencies or studios or whatever option you go from you know don't dismiss the one that is challenging you mm. you know it it doesn't mean that they don't respect you or, or or believe in the vision they are trying to do the right thing you know i've seen it so often where a founder will just go with the agency that just says yes to everything yeah. you know strokes their ego and then 250 grand down the line when they've got a big bloated product that nobody's using, you know, they wish that they'd gone with the agency right at the start that said, right. we, we need to do a four week or six week discovery to make sure your users actually want this. And probably doesn't work very well as well, which is the surprising thing for a lot of um, a lot of founders once they, they spend that much money and then they realize yeah. they have a product that doesn't work. And like, why why is it I spent that much money doesn't work? Because if you, you're paying them to say yes to everything. So they're yeah. not going to say, if you do this, it's going to break this. They're not exactly. interested in that. It's just they will build what you ask. Yeah, there's ask probably been multiple pivots before it's even got to market right to justify whether it should be pivoted or not so you end up with this big mishmash product that doesn't really have a clear value proposition yeah uh, i see founders they don't think about the go to market enough very regularly um yeah. you know so they are kind of just still think they'll build it and it's going to you know they will come rather right. than and, 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 and a massive thing that i 
I, I don't see enough founders do um, is, is try to build an offline version of their business first. And this is, I think, the number one, the number one hack, especially in this environment mm. um, where money is really hard to get, especially if you don't have any traction. If you can be build an offline version of what you're trying to build first and get some revenue, then you are so much further ahead than other people who, you know, that mm. are trying to do the same thing. So, you know, if you're a domain expert and you're building something in your industry, can you can you do a consulting version of what you're doing? Is there a spreadsheet version of what you can do for corporates? Um, like almost a service-led version. Service-led version. Right, yeah. You know, I, you know, if you're building something... Um, that is a marketplace, you know, a uh, professional services marketplace. Can mm. you just be a consultancy or a recruitment agency that's in that niche? And then you're building up the two-sided marketplace. So when you come to build the tech, you've got something that you're actually working from, mm. um, you know, or can you do a combination of that and a little bit of no code so that at least you're using a little bit of tech, but it's not the entire business, you know, right. The day, the days of just building, spending a quarter of a million pounds on a product, launching it and expecting it to work unless you are you know unless you've got such a big vision and deep enough pockets to pull it off mm. then i don't but i think they're the exception rather than the rather, yeah rather, that, that rather was, there might be another exception which is you know a, an extremely innovative um correct yeah ambitious you know disruptive concept that, that probably is born out of a founder having very very specific expertise yeah. or qualifications and insights. and we've got and we've and, got a couple, we've got a couple of those we've got one particularly which i can't talk about yet because it hasn't launched but where it's he's, he's going big he's going huge yeah yeah you know and there are some that you just have to do that that you know and that and, that, and that you can't do that you can't do that one on the cheap you know right. and it, and you can't do that one in two months so yeah but most people's businesses don't most businesses that. don't most businesses yeah. most 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 people shouldn't do that most people don't have the experience to do that and most people should just try and get going in the smallest yeah. possible way and just get five grand a month of revenue coming in mm. showing that because because what that will do that offline version that professional services version that you know is show okay these are actually where their pain points are i'm providing mm. this service they want it if i went and built a, built a bit of tech now to make that even smoother or more efficient they would buy it um mm. And I think that's the number one hack that founders should be doing in the next year or two when, you know, getting pre-seed rounds with no with no early stage traction is just becoming almost impossible. Um, yeah. And friends and, and family. I, yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. And, and I suppose I think the way I've been putting it in the past has been slightly different, but I might start borrowing some of what you've said there to explain it, which is that there needs to be more of a focus on building a community around your mm. concept first, which is a, it, yeah. which is something that, I've been banging that drum for a while, ever since, you know, really my um, my foray into the gaming industry a little bit, actually. I don't know if you you, you game much or you know much yeah. about the gaming industry, but there's been a, a sort of um, a way of doing things in the gaming industry for a long, long time now where, you know, you you do the, the, the alpha, you do the beta, you pull a community, you get feedback. That's always been a part of the process, you know, yeah. and it really become a bit more you know standard in in SaaS um in recent years 
Um, that's an example. Obviously, that's a bit further along, and it's purely tech, so you can't do the offline version of that. It's not like you yeah. can get, uh, I don't know, Fortnite in real life, and then we'll build the game version. No, of you'd, it. You'd, you'd probably get arrested if you did that. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, um, but but it's um, but yeah, but that that taking an even a further step back, like you said, and actually going, well, yeah, what can be a service-led version of this product be? Is interesting. Yeah. Although saying that, I've also spoke to a lot of people because I do a lot of pro bono work, right? For for early stage, you know, ideation stage founders, maybe you know, especially who just want some tips. Right? How do I even get started on this idea? What's my first steps? All of that. And I'll be completely honest, and I don't mind saying this for people listening, a lot of them are just terrible ideas, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of them are just terrible ideas. Um, and the vast majority of them in the camp of being terrible ideas, of which there's a, there's quite a lot, um, are usually people in the realm of consulting or, you know, workshop providers and things like that, who usually now are saying, I want an AI to, to do X, right, you know, and yeah. you know, do my job for me or whatever. And I'm like, that's not that's not what people want. <laughs> you know, people want you. Um, there yeah. are ways of digitizing it. I think, like you said, but it needs to be a bit more innovative than that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the 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 reason why people don't want to build a community first is because it's hard. Yeah, it takes That's time. Simple as that. It's hard and yeah. it takes time, and you have to put yourself out there. So, mm. um, I don't know what you call it, but there is a, a trait I find in founders that they don't want to put themselves out there because they're worried that if they do, they 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 will fail and that's and that's why often they'll take months and months and months to launch something and add a load of features because it's oh it's because of this it's because of this we need one more we need one more um and it's the same with the community right you get a community together and you start pitching your ideas and you know you don't get the reaction that you want and you kind of feel like you fail so i get it it's human nature but yeah unfortunately also, the things, a lot, the a lot things of that make don't sense. even know where to start building a community yeah. You know, they're just like, what? How? Do, what does that even mean? How? What does that? You know, how do you even yeah. start? You know, that that that's a daunting thing because as a term, or you know, it, it's quite a broad one to, to say. And I think a lot of people automatically think of things like Slack or Discord channels, yeah, yeah, yeah. or newsletters. And and actually, no, it's 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 something other than that. It's it's just going out and and asking people, you want this thing? Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, there's, there's Slack, Discord, you know, and stuff like that, and <laughs> offline events and stuff. That it can get to that. But mm. let's go and talk to 20 people and have 20 people, right. you know, to start with. But, you know, there's that lovely cliche at the moment that the community is the last, you know, is the last big marketing tactic left, you know, that doesn't, you just don't have to chuck, chuck loads of money up to. So yeah, I think right. it's, it's, it's definitely something that founders should, should consider. But it, like I say, the reason I don't do it is because it's hard. Yeah, a great example of someone who's done it um, right or a couple, there's been a couple recently that I spoke to, but one that's just become a client of mine. Um, she she is purely led by events. That's her entire business. So great example of what you're saying as well, which is it's an event led business model, mm. um, bringing together a very specific group of people um, who have a very specific interest. And then she has plans to digitize that moving forward. I may very well put you in touch with her in the near future when she's at that point, in fact. Um, and and it's and it's just been refreshing to hear her approach on that of understanding like i had this vision but i knew i needed to strip it right back and just focus on one event at a time making the events the best that they could be making them yeah. highly valuable and then she then she built like a an online community through whatsapp and then she upgraded that Perfect. to slack and then and it was like that's how you do it that's you how know, you should do it these days but in front of the other yeah yeah you know this I was mean, over a period of only a couple of years so actually when yeah. you sit back and, and think about it founders are like you said impatient and they want it to happen now but actually it's, it doesn't take that long when you well, i think they 
they think, oh, I'm building a tech company. The first thing I should go to is tech. But right. we, 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 we basically, in, I mean, we do invest in some pure tech companies. Of course we do. But the majority of what we do are tech enabled. You know, they are right. proper, proper businesses enabled by tech in a very, very tight niche. You spoke about that niche before, you know. So mm. in my mind, if you, can, if you can have a proper business that you're enabling with tech and then it's in a very tight niche, then that's where you're going to get those businesses that can very, you know, not easily, it's really difficult, have the ability mm. to sell for tens of millions. And as long as, as an investor, we're getting in at the right valuation and the dilution works for the founders over time, they can be very successful businesses. They might not be venture backed by some of the bigger, bigger VCs, mm. um, but we don't think that's a terrible. We don't think that's a terrible thing. No, but, yeah, I, think, not, I think focus focus on making a proper business first, because mm. in this in this funding environment, you know, it's way easier to do that than the alternative. Hundred percent, and and that's essentially what traction is. What we've just been talking about there to a degree. That's part of traction, and then and then of course there comes revenue. But that's yeah. very much a fundamental part of it. And it's refreshing to hear you say that, that that's what you're looking for. And you're going after the, the tens of millions rather than the hundreds of millions or the billions, right? Which, which you know, is the, you know, usually the the the, the remit for, for some of these larger VC firms that we see. They, they, they don't want to have a, a niche um, product market fit. They want to have a global product market fit. So that's really yeah. interesting well, look, and, I think, and refreshing to I you say that. We need, um, we, my, my view is we need both, right? I'm not, mm. I'm not saying that, the, I mean, they're extremely smart uh, and successful. Some of these 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 VCs, and they've, you know, they've invested in unicorns, and that's that's great. Mm. And the economy needs needs them as well, right? We need we need. Yeah, even a broken clock is right twice a day, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I think I think I think there's some some fantastic oh. ones, and and for the yeah, right for the right type of founder, mm. that's what they want to do. I just think it's important to highlight that there is an alternative route that you don't have to go down that route if that's mm. not what you want to do. Um, and there's ways of both investors and founders making really good returns. And you don't have to sell for two, three, 400. You know, you can sell a business for 50, 60 million and everyone mm. can do really well, really well out of it. And if you look, I don't have the exact numbers to, to, to hand, but um, the vast majority of exits are in the tens of millions, you know? So the ones you hear about are the, are the much bigger ones but the vast majority are in the tens of millions, you know, probably below 50. So why not encourage those and, and stimulate those? Yeah, hundred percent. And, and um, have you, have any of your portfolio companies exited since you've, um, since you've. No, so we're, we're, you know, we're, we're seven, eight years in vast right. majority of, of ours have come really in the last five years. So the first two or three years we did a few, which are now at series a, um, you know, we've got, a handful at Series A raised money at substantial valuation. They're probably looking like they'll they'll exit in the next sort of couple of years. Mm. So it just shows you the that's the life cycle, right? The life cycle, yeah. the life cycle is seven to ten years. Um, mm. So you have to be in it for the long game. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, that, that's well. We'll have to check back in in a couple of years then to see where, <laughs> what's yeah. going on there. So you mentioned no code earlier, which is which is another sort of. Um, hot button thing along with kind of talking about the community and the traction that's needed especially like you said with the change in the landscape everyone's kind of you know thinking on their feet as it were as to how to to go about um launching no code is another one of those things that's on everyone's lips um at the moment and you mentioned that as something that you you, you kind of embrace so what is it uh, does it have any place within the studio itself or or in terms of the you know what you help with with building um, um or you, you strictly sticking you know yeah talk more on that because because we're investing at the still very early stage, but slightly later stage where 
um, founders have got a little bit of traction. Mm. We are, if we are working with founders that have used no code, it's for us to basically rebuild it and turn it right, into something. Okay. So we want to invest at the, at the point where a founder has used no code to get them to a certain point, and now they're having scale challenges with what they've yeah. got. Um, so you wouldn't look to continue continuously develop on an existing no code platform with no I code. Mean, you would look to to ideally replace that with something a bit a bit more. Robust. Yeah, because ultimately we, we want to build a we want to build a company where the value you know the IP value is obviously in the technology stack, and some people probably will totally disagree with me on this, but I don't think it's necessarily been proven yet either way because it's all relatively new but i'm not sure whether you can sell your business if it's underwritten by bubble you know as 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 pure self-owned ip because it's not at the end of the day right mm. um really good i mean if you want to build a lifestyle business where you never want to sell if you just want to bootstrap something and you want to keep it for 10 years and make profit then why you don't need to rebuild that tech stack right um mm. but i think there is going to be a a negative valuation arbitrage if you come to exit and you're in a no code stack but like i said people might disagree with me on that but absolutely fantastic to get going proof concept um we because we're investing at a slightly later stage we've we've kind of we're kind of letting other other people do do the early stage stuff i mean there's yeah. there's there's bubble experts there's also a couple of companies that have started to build their own sort of very scrappy you know almost stuff that is um you know written in javascript where it's like very very cheap to get going yeah, again, it'll get you to a certain point and then um, then you'll probably need to rebuild it, you know, mm. but you can get going for five, five, ten grand, you know, that yeah. just five years ago, that just wasn't a possibility. Yeah. So I think in, in, in some respects, it's brilliant because it's opening up uh, a much wider pool of founders to get going. But I still think founders need to spend time validating their concept and making sure they're building the right thing, right? Because... Mm. It's almost so easy to get going now that you think oh, I may as well just, you know, chuck 10 grand into this and give it a go. Whereas right. And there's a, and, and, and more to the point, I think there's an overabundance of, of shit um, ideas that are being built now as well, just to be brutally honest, like, you know, like I said earlier, that, and that's not to say there aren't some amazing ones now as a result of that de de democratization of, of being able to go mm -hmm. to market quicker but there is also an overabundance of shit that now needs to be sifted through in order to find that great stuff because everyone's able to do it now everyone and their mum seems to have a startup these days i think um, it's also there's also it's also a a massive uh, opportunity for people to get going of course it is like yeah. i just said but it's also a massive risk in the enterprise SaaS world because mm -hmm. you know if you are a big corporate you could just build a version of what you're buying in terms of a, a you know a SaaS a SaaS solution, go and get two, three, four smart no coders, and just start internally automating your processes, your operation. Mm. You know, and you might in the future be able to take what you're currently paying twenty four separate SaaS solutions and just stitch together your own version of it. You know, so right. I, I'm not saying that that is something that is like imminently going to happen, but no, but I wouldn't. But if... I could see a scenario where. In the future, you you know, a big corporate, you can go and use five or six different platforms, stitch them all together, and do a version of of stuff that you're currently paying tens of thousands of pounds a year for on 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 SaaS products. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really valid point, and one that I've, you know, I've spoke to a couple of other people on this show about before, which is that there, you know, the, there's an oversaturation of SaaS, B two B SaaS especially, yeah, which is which is applying a lot of pressure on businesses from a financial perspective. The tax tech stack is, you know, growing in in expense every every month, um, you know, and that's why you know we heard especially during COVID and then the sort of recovery period after COVID, a lot of businesses were struggling B2B SaaS because a lot of their you know budgets within each company were being cut and they'd have to prioritize the the, the tools within their tax tech stack. And then, yep. you know, some were just seen as not as priority as others. And that's so why now, sorry, go ahead. I was say that, that, that's why our, that's why FNL Capital, we're looking if we can to invest into proper businesses and digitize them. Right. We are, we are doing because about de-risking it. That's an element of de-risk. Well, I mean, you know, they're a proper business already. They're not, they're not, mm. um, they're not a B2B SaaS product that needs enterprise customers. Right. They are a proper business. I mean, we, we do do B2B SaaS as well, but we're very, you know, very select on the reasons, but there is a massive oversaturation, as you say, yeah. you know, there are yeah. lots of, there are lots of people competing for, uh, I don't know whether it's shrinking, the data says where it's shrinking, but it's, it, mm. it, it seems to be not certainly not growing as fast. Mm. Well, it's because everyone's going for each other, yeah. right? That's the irony in it. It's it's, it's a shark tank, you know, with with no 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 food but just other sharks. So it's it's uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's cannibalizing. Yeah, I mean, look, we we we've had we 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 get we get I'm going to say two or three applications a week for wellness platforms. If you are enjoying this episode and want to support the show, please like and subscribe with notifications turned on. Mm. Yeah, uh, there there just isn't going to be enough space for them. Mm. Um, so, you know, if it's why, if we were to invest in that space, it would be into a company that has already proven a version of what they're doing offline. And then they're just digitizing yeah. it rather than yet another tech platform in the wellness space. You know, obviously that's a massively growing, that's a massively growing, um, industry, but there can't be enough space for the amount mm. of people that are trying to do the same thing. There just can't be, just can't be big enough budgets for it. And 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 like I mentioned, I think the important thing to, to to think about with this is that you don't. I don't think that in B two B SaaS, your direct direct competitors are in the same industry as you. It's everyone in B two B SaaS now is your direct competitor because everyone's vying for the same portion of the budget. You know, mm-hmm. the the overall company budget. Um, so you know whether you're in wellness or you're in sales enablement or whatever it is you're doing. You know, mm-hmm. you're 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 in com- competition with one another for for that money these days because of everyone's you know being very very lean in the way that they operate. So um, so yeah, I couldn't. But I hadn't thought about what you mentioned there about before, um, which has given me food for thought now. Which is really interesting about this idea of you know larger enterprises just building their own s- smaller solutions for a lot of these. Yeah. Because let's face it, a lot of these B two B solutions are quite you know not huge. Like that they, they are they are solving one maybe two smaller problems overall in a company. And if they already have a team of developers, as most of these companies are, you know, software companies themselves, they, yep. they might just say, look, solve this problem for us. Um, and that way it's more bespoke, more, you know, for their needs. And hey, right. problem, problem solving certainly without ongoing costs. I think it's, a, I think it's a massive problem that's coming um, in, the next, mm. in the next few years. Um, and actually, a really good business model is to go and consult on building those tools for big corporates. You know, mm. it's like in, basically internal tools to automate ops, automate sales processes, automate marketing, you know, automate recruitment, all that kind of stuff, you know, that. Yeah, which which already exists, right? That's already existed for some time, these these kinds of internal teams. But I, I guess yeah. what you're saying is now that they could go a step further and just start automating right. some of the tools that are in their tech stack and mm-hmm. make make the, the need for that subscription completely redundant. 
Yeah. And I suppose that's that's also the risk of the the, the 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 recurving revenue model, which is that while it's great for business overall, the risk is you're constantly tapping away at someone's revenue um yeah and you know constantly biting at someone's ankles means they're going to look at that and go well either you need to go because we're not we've hit hard times or if we want to continue to grow and and this 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 <laughs> this amount we have to spend uh for, for you and our, the other people on this list is also going to have to grow well we need to do something about that so exactly yeah i agree yeah. i agree so yeah it's an interesting time coming up and like i say it's yeah. why it's that's why when we can, we want to invest into something that's a proper business, it's a B2B business, and then we're digitizing it rather than purely just SaaS enterprise solutions. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting, uh, really interesting uh, yeah, scenario that we find ourselves in and, and, and an interesting approach that you've got and one that I think is, uh, well, a testament to why you've been around for so long. So what's looking ahead then? I know you're obviously working on a few projects now that you can't talk about, but do you have any other plans to add any additional lines of services into the business uh do you want to just continue you know sort of doubling down on what it is you're doing you mentioned that you're going you're entering into another stage for for for, for building up your fund again so is that going to be a different funding goal you know what, what's kind of the future holding that uh so our current fund <laughs> gives us the ability to do another three investments this year right. um this so year that, that means yeah well i mean if it bleeds into january fine but we we should have another three hopefully this year um, oh, okay. we're about to do our seventh this year, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll have another three, uh, and then we're raising money to start deploying again from February the 1st. And that will be, um, very similar to what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. Um, also with the capacity to follow on into some of the ones that we did, we've done this year mm -hmm. in terms of services, to be honest with you, I kind of flip between it. Um, I would love to offer more support to our founders on, um, and we, we, we are doing it a bit, but on a bigger scale growth marketing that's that side of things right um we we'll struggle to find a great partners for it to be honest it's really no. hard okay <laughs> we'll chat we'll chat we'll chat yeah, yeah. um you know so sort of, uh, sort of like the, the um, a bit more of that tutelage and uh sort of more of a a treatment of almost that accelerator slash incubator side of style of thing yeah we, um, but we have to be you know we have to be really careful that you don't end up you know, uh, as a venture studio or a venture builder, you know, whatever people are calling it, that you don't just do everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that's temptation, right? It's a temptation. And ultimately, we're investing into really competent, smart founders who who are coming to us because we're really good at building tech and, and product. You know, so um, we are tempted to, to, to do more on other parts of the business, help them with their business model, help them with their financial model. You know, and we do bits and pieces of that, but we kind of do it a bit, inform a bit informally at the moment because, you know, we've got yeah. an amazing VC team, we've got an amazing CFO. So naturally we can kind of help with that kind of stuff, but that team is only, only, only so big. So at the moment, focus is on product and tech um, and just finding, finding more great businesses. And we support them strategically in terms of business and you know, business model and, um, you know, go to market proposition. But, and yeah, that's another thing, right? Another thing, go to market, proposition, you know, we do it to a, de to a, to a degree with our product teams, um, but probably only to a degree. We, could probably, we probably could do that in even, in even greater detail, but, but yeah, again, you kind of, what do we want to be known for? We want to be known for building great products and building great tech. Um, and I suppose you also don't want to cross a line as well uh, of uh, from from CTO or CPO essentially like fractional CTO CPO as a service into you know someone 
so the, the the line which is between you and say a CRO or CGO or COO, right? right. You don't necessarily want to cross that line too much because presumably they may already have that within their team, or yeah. they at least should. Um, well, something something we're we're getting it. We, we we have put a bit more focus into is is growth tactics within the product team recently, mm -hmm. but very much kind of within the product team, um, right. rather than on the CMO side. You know, so we will always need a. We we don't want to be doing um you know execution on ppc or execution on pr campaigns or execution mm. and stuff for them we can we can support but yeah it's a fine line yeah 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 interesting and and the fund itself how does that work so you know presumably you have partners um that you are engaged with on that uh that that, that are contributing to that fund or is it an open fund? Is it something that that you or, or maybe you plan to to open up to to other you know want so, want to be investors in the future? Um, I don't know how much you know about structuring a fund, but it is bloody difficult, mm -hmm. um, unnecessarily difficult, very frustrating. Because if you're in America, you can get something set up so much easier. Although someone told me actually they're changing that. I don't know whether there's been some bad scenarios or bad situations happen, but. My understanding is, you know, in America, you can very quickly raise a few million quid and then, you know, very easily set up a discretionary fund. So you can make discretionary decisions on behalf of your investors. Way it depends on the state from what I understand. Probably depends yeah, on the state. But generally, yeah, I think it is a little easier. Way harder over here. <laughs> um, so we, we, we actually, it was, it was a really, I always thought that when we started looking at this about 18 months ago, I thought raising the money was going to be a difficult bit. and went into mm -hmm. it na naively. And actually, we were able to raise the money very quickly from we had we had some existing investors into into Founder and Lightning, into our main opco, not as mm -hmm. a fund, um, and also a network that we built up. And actually, we were able to raise um, it's just a, you know, a, a, we called it a micro fund to get going, but we were able to raise that very quickly. What we couldn't find was a structure to take everybody's money. So actually, the way we had to structure it in the end, um, we're not. We're not a fund. We're not making discretionary decisions on behalf of our investors because we're not compliantly allowed to. We've got two investors that we push deals to, and if they want to invest, they do, and if they don't, they don't. Um, that's how we had to. That's how we we had to, we had to do it. Um, and then we've got a bunch of our other investors that will come in on a deal by deal basis yet again if they want to. So we're replicating as much as we can whilst making sure it's compliant and we're making sure that we, you know, um, we do it, like I say, in this, in this, in this, in this compliant way, not ideal. It's slower than it should be. However, for the next one that we're raising, um, we're talking to two or three partners about structuring it as a proper fund and we'll be raising more money. You know, um, we don't yet know exactly how much it'll be, but it will be a large enough amount so that, um, we can raise it as a proper discretionary fund and then we won't have mm. those, those admin issues. And presumably cover the fees associated with that too. Yeah, there's a lot of um, in the last year or two. There's definitely been a, a growth in a lot of more uh, accessible structures to help with with developing funds. I'm not sure. Yeah, you've got you've got Odin, you've got Valbon, you've got right. Yeah, um, you've got. Are, there, are those the kind of things you're looking at, or something a bit more sort of a bit more hands on, a bit more bespoke? Looking at them, looking at some 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 others, some some that are a bit more bespoke. Um, mm. Yeah, so we're hoping to make a decision. Actually, I think it's either probably end of this week or next week. Talking to about okay. three, three or four different, three or four different people. 
And then um, I suppose that that kind of answers my my other question there earlier, which was, you know, are you looking to maybe open it up? Which is it? Re it's really going to depend on how you manage to build this structure, right? If you go onto something like Odin, maybe that's possible that you could start opening the we're, doors. There. We're definitely opening up. I mean, so when we first raised a year ago, you know, I had a lot of investors who said, "Oh yeah, perfect. I'm in for fifty to hundred k or whatever." We couldn't take yeah. their money. Couldn't actually take their money. It was really frustrating because we couldn't mm -hmm. create the structure that was compliant to do it. Um, so we can. We've now. We can we will be able to take those those uh, i mean you could just just handle cash you know i mean that might make it a little bit easier wouldn't it just briefcases of cash uh, yeah i don't think yeah i don't think yeah. i don't think the fca would like that <laughs> they don't have to know it's all in cash they'd <laughs> but, never know <laughs> but so so i mean the short answer is yes we're, we're opening it up I, I would imagine i would imagine that when we come to close we'll probably have tens if not you know yeah tens of investors you know maybe mm -hmm. mid maybe i don't know somewhere between somewhere between 20 and 60 investors i imagine mm -hmm. so what, what what specifically were the challenges there when you when you first did the fund because i think that's quite interesting for anyone listening who might be sort of interested in 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 going a, a similar route i mean there could be some interesting learnings there so what what, what were the, the challenges specifically that you found so if you use something like odin mm. it's still not a discretionary fund so you still have to push it out to your investors and they can they they can obviously say yes or no to the deal, so you have to you, you you know it's very difficult to go out to market and say we've raised X amount of millions if you have yeah. them. Um, so for those who do, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this because my my knowledge on this isn't the best, but a discretionary fund is essentially where you have a fund, a pool of money that you can invest on behalf of the investors without having to consult them. Correct. They've essentially given you that money to say invest it however you see fit. Yeah, right? invest it however you see fit. Yeah within the thesis that you've obviously laid out right yeah what i spoke <laughs> yeah. about what i spoke about before you know b2b offline to online mm -hmm. uh, scrappy mvp no code that we digitize you know it would all be very much you know the right valuations right metrics all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. um so that that's that so there's that if you use one of those one of those platforms although yet again some of these platforms are creating now the ability to to, to have a discretionary fund so it's getting it's getting better second problem is obviously expense you know mm -hmm. so um you are looking at minimum of 20k plus either some of the, the different models that people have is either it's a small upfront fee and then they take a cut of the carry and the management fee mm -hmm. or a much larger yearly fee with no cut of the, of the carry so you're either looking at somewhere between you know 75 to 100 grand sometimes yearly mm. with no cut of the carry or management fee or you're looking at you know somewhere 20 to 30k setup fee with a cut of the carry and a cut of the management fee so Mm. it's it's just not easy and then the third yeah. thing is probably time time choosing the right partner um mm. have to be have to be have to have the right credibility um and you have to have the right partnership with them because even mm. you know some of those different options there they're actually taking some of these guys they're taking the risk mm. you know they're you so you have to be you have to be selected with them way more than you're probably selecting them because you need to show competence, you need to show some kind of track record, you need to show that you can do this. Because if you muck this up, they're going to get sued. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, so um, I think I think we 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 obviously have a track record because of our previous business model. You know, because for seven years we were building companies that some of which are now you know doing really really well. So mm -hmm. we we had a track record of of that. Um, which which has allowed us to probably do this a little bit faster than what other people would be able to do. You know, so it looks like we looks like we've done quite a lot in the last year, but actually that's the seven years before that right. of of proving our competence and our ability to do this. Um, 
so I would actually say if someone was looking at doing this, just go and set up a syndicate, you know, mm. go and set up mm. a syndicate, use Odin, use Verbum, whatever platform you want to use. Um, and, you know, you can charge a, some, you can charge a management fee per deal. You can, I believe, still charge a carry from your investors mm. on there, you know. So I think that's probably the best way of, of just getting going rather than trying to structure it as a proper fund if you don't have mm. the track record yet, you know. Um, you know, if you're looking to make, say you're looking to make your own angel investments, but you kind of want to be able to do bigger check sizes, go out and build a, you know, go and build a 20, 30, 40, um, angel syndicate and do it, do it on a deal by deal basis. Instead, it's way easier to get going. You can prove track yeah. record. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. So <clears throat> let's shift gears a bit. I want to know a bit more about you, um, and, and, and your role as, as founder and CEO. So obviously, I'd, you know, I'd imagine that it's changed significantly over the years as it usually does. So, and you talked a bit about your team and kind of the, the, the different focuses your team has on, on different, um, when working with, with new businesses and so on. So how do you fit into all of this? So you, are you more the, the, the sort of conductor, um, role? Are you, are you very sort of much on the front lines? Are you, are you speaking with the founders? Are you working with them? How do you, how do you operate on a day-to-day -day sort of basis these days? Um, so uh, I would say the conductor is a good, a good analogy. Right. Um, I would say 50% plus of my time is spent on front forward facing activities. So uh, brand network, uh, relationships, and that broadly filters down to finding good opportunities to either invest into or work with or investors or partners to invest, you know, to, to work with us. That's probably mm. 50, 50 percent plus of my of my role. And then we have a fantastic leadership team that do you know the the nitty-gritty day-to-day. And then obviously my job is to work closely with them, but also not get in their way. Right. Um yeah. So yeah. to try So and, would you say you're like the face of the of the brand in yeah. in many ways in that sense? Yeah. And you know, um to keep the rhythm moving of the company in the best way I can, yet again, without, you know, without getting in the way unnecessarily, you know, so yeah. it's, it's, it's difficult. It's really hard. You know, we're, we're over a hundred people, I think about 130 something, you know, so um, it's a difficult balance because you need to know when to try and dig into stuff, when not to, um, and that changes over time, you know, so five years ago, I was doing the sales. I was, you know, very much more involved on each each project that we worked on. Um, but I much prefer my role now compared to that. Right. You know, um, yeah. uh, and 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 there's there's way better people at doing that stuff that I was doing back then that now work with us than the what I was at doing it back right. then. You know, so that such a cliche, right? But hiring people that are better than you is 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 a massive cliche but it's one of those cliches that's very much true otherwise you're just going to stay a cliche a for a reason it's a cliche for well, yeah, a reason exactly. you're just, just going to stay a tiny company and then your job as the founder is to try and keep the vision in check and try and make sure that you know it's not as easy it's not as simple as just letting people get on with it and i've made that mistake in the past i brought people in who who you know were maybe great people but maybe i didn't um set the direction as clearly as i should have a few years ago um, and I think I've got the balance much better now with great people, but also, you know, being clearer on the direction that I want the company to go in because you can't lose that. Um, mm. And I think that's maybe some bad advice that 
founders get sometimes is hire really smart people, just let them get on with it. I don't think there's there's a bit missing there. Hire really smart mm. people and make sure you're aligned on where you're trying to get to and what their roles and accountability is. That's that's the second very important piece of that. Mm, yeah, I agree. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about a founder's job essentially to be the 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 um the sort of torch with the with the vision, right? Um to the, yeah, the vision following. You got the vision, you've got to have the energy to keep going, <laughs> you've mm. got to be a great recruiter, you've got to be the the um the gatekeeper of the culture, you know, and mm. and ultimately if you can see that the culture and the company isn't what it should be, then you've got to do something about it. I think you've got to be the one that's prepared to make the really tough calls and tough decisions. So yeah, you can have a fantastic team, but it's still going to come to you if this isn't working, what should we do about it? And you're the one that says, we need to, we need to drastically change that or that person's not working out or, you know, that customer or that client or whatever, we, we shouldn't be working with that person or, or whatever. You know, I think you've got to be the one that is prepared to make those really tough decisions and set the example, just set the example for your team as much as possible. And then caveat all of that with when the, where it's right, get out of the way and trust them, trust them to do a great job. Um, because if you don't, then you're just never going to scale. We're never going to get bigger. It's a balancing act, isn't it? So what, what's been the most surprising things um, that you've encountered over the years scaling from, I presume it was just yourself originally, or did you, did you have co-founder when, or, or co-founders when you started the, 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 the business? Just me. And then the co-founders came in literally within a few, few months. Right. Um, what's, what's, is... what's the biggest surprise been across that, uh, across that journey? Well, surprise is maybe, maybe there's more. I don't know, uh, uh, maybe not surprises, just maybe uh, obs observations. Right, right. Observations. Um, it, it, took, it took way longer to find good salespeople than I ever imagined. <laughs> right. Uh, which meant until about two years ago, pretty much I was, uh, I was, I was the one and my co-founder uh, was doing some of it as well. Mm. Um, and we found a fan, ex excellent, amazing person about two years ago. She's still with us. Um, so yeah, got, got sold to by, by the wrong salespeople probably in the past, past some time had some, had some, some successes as well. Um, but yeah, I think that was difficult. Um, I think that balance between, um, hiring really senior people but also people that are willing to get their hands dirty mm. is a is a is was a is, a is a big learning um i think we've got a really good balance now of really experienced people but don't necessarily need an enormous team you know to 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 support them they're they're, they're at the point where they're still willing to really do a lot of the work themselves and i think mm that's always a big learning for a founder you kind of think as a founder that you need this person with 30 years experience or whatever they could be an amazing advisor mm. or even an amazing consultancy or fractional or whatever but i would question often whether they are the right full-time yeah um that was definitely uh, an observation or a surprise um another surprise is is it just yeah just how difficult it's going to be you know you just when you think you've got it nailed with the right team or 
the right funding or the right business model, something is just going to come and punch you around the face that you didn't expect. Mm -hmm. So just never, ever, ever get too comfortable. Um, you just have to be, and I know there's, there's a lot, you know, on social media about this at the moment, you know, this hustle culture and, um, that it's, that it's not healthy to promote it. But if you're a founder and you think you're not going to have to work outrageously hard and be thinking about your business 24, seven, seven days a week, then just don't do it because yep. I've not met a single successful person who's exited their business that worked four days a week and wasn't outrageously stressed out for 70, 80% of the time. So mm. it's not, it's not popular to, to promote it, but I think it's just a fact that it's, you can either do it or you can't, you know? So I think, I think with this, with this whole topic, the, the problem with it is people, 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 people in general, like extremes, right? So it's yeah. like, you know, the, 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 the truth is that the truth, well, the truth is usually a nuance. It's not, you know, it's in the gray area. And with something like that, what people forget to, to I think to mention is that, yes, like you said, it's, it's highly stressful. You're going to have to work, you know, um, ungodly hours sometimes. It's not suggesting that you have no life, that you can't, you know, be part of your family, that you can't, you know, yeah. it's not suggesting that. It, it's like, you know, don't you don't need to take it to, you know, an extreme. It's like you, you can be highly stressed in your work, but you can leave that stress at your laptop. Um, and you can go off and do things with your family to de-stress you and enjoy your time. You can take time off whenever you like. That's one of the benefits of it. But yeah. don't overtake it. Otherwise, your business will suffer. You know, like it's it's not as simple as, but, you know, it's just easier to put in a Twitter uh, post or in a, in a LinkedIn post, like just the one statement. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, hustle no, hard. No, agree. You shouldn't hustle, you know. It's, extre it's extremes on both sides. But yeah, uh, I yeah. just, I, I really think, I've always, I was always on these people that was like, everyone should start a business. Everyone should be a founder. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't think it is for everybody. I actually, it's I actually absolutely not for everybody. Absolutely I really not. don't think it is. It's really, 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 really hard. I, I, I would be a yeah. terrible employee. I'm, I would not be a good employee. Um, mm. But you know, I, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy doing this. Is right. this, this is what I enjoy, but it is not, it's not, it's not for everybody. So yeah, I think, um, uh, an observation is just how hard it's going to be um, and how yep. hard it is to find find the right people, set the right culture, set the right vision, raise enough money, keep enough revenue coming in, keep that balancing act going of 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 that many people. Um, but the, the the rewards are enormous, you know, obviously financially, if you get it right, but autonomy, building something from scratch, you know, getting a bunch of great people together and going on a journey with them, you know, that that is incredible. But you just and especially of what you're doing because you're not only building your own businesses but you're 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 helping others build theirs so it's like you're, yeah. you're you know double the layer of satisfaction of those accomplishments in a sense because you're continuously replicating those, those those set of accomplishments and that's hugely rewarding and i'm and i'm in a similar but not directly the same sort of um position as you and i can totally see the um the reward that you gain from that there's something hugely satisfying about seeing someone ex execute their vision and knowing that you participated in that yeah, um, to I mean, uh, and help achieve that. On a good day, uh, that's double the rewards. On a bad day, it's double the stress. Right, because you've got because <laughs> right. you've got because you've got that's your own downside. business. <laughs> you've got your own you've got your own business that you're trying to make work, and then you yeah. you you naturally we vicariously live through these founders that we work with. Right, we right right. Uh, you yeah. know, we 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 feel every up and down. Oh, this picture's yeah. gone badly. We've closed this client 
great. We've lost this client bad. We, you know, we're running out of funding, you know, so mm. we, we, we deal with all of that. Um, but mm. we're, we do it because we love it. And we like that feeling of building stuff from scratch. And as you say, being on that, being on that journey, but you know, you've got to, you've got to have pretty high stress tolerance to deal with that and just enjoy it. Yeah. Well, it's a theme that keeps coming up in these, in these, um, in these episodes is, you know, this, the topic of resilience being, yeah. uh, the, you know, the, uh, being such an enormous, uh, enormously important attribute for founders. And, and yeah, I think it's just, it, it goes back to that and it always seems to resilience and that, 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 um, that willingness to, to continually grow. Because the one thing I've observed being a founder, um, slash entrepreneur, over the years and having worked with others as well is that just as when you feel like okay i feel like i've got pretty much the skill set down needed to do this job now then something comes along and you're like oh no <laughs> no i really don't <laughs> like, i have to learn a whole other thing now <laughs> you know? um and so it keeps you on your toes definitely but you've got to roll with the punches and it's it's no use just saying i will hire someone to fill that role like no you need to understand it you need to understand yeah. You have to understand, <laughs> you have to understand, you know, I, I, I'm a very, very, I'll never be able to code. I'll never, mm. you know, very lucky to have an amazing co-founder CTO who is the, is the technical wizard that looks after our entire tech team. But I understand what they're doing at a top level because I've had to learn it. You know, because you, you need to have a bullshit detector, like exactly. at the end of the day, on on everything, and so you need to understand yeah. enough of everything to know when you're being bullshit. It's basically you, right. You, Similar you to that sales to. thing you mentioned earlier. It's like you, you know, you're definitely not the first person that said to me about feeling like they, you know, they encountered some sort of snake oil salesman early on in their business yeah. um life cycle. I've got a bit of a theory about that actually. I, I feel like there might actually be sort of a two-way explanation for that. But there are definitely a lot of bullshit artists out there as well. I hope I'm not in that camp. Um, more on the other. <laughs> um, my, my theory actually on that goes that that I feel like it's usually very early on in the business. You, you usually hear the story of it happening usually around a time when a business is kind of trying to understand their true value propositions, that actually really fully understanding what their ideal customer profile is, you know, getting validation and, you know, product market fit. It's, it's in a, a moment of unknown. And so, and salespeople, aren't built to do that they aren't they aren't built you know the, the role of a salesperson is to come in into a predefined organization and sell something that is predefined generally speaking there are very very few entrepreneurial salespeople out there that can take an unfinished product an unfinished service an unfinished value proposition etc cetera, etc cetera, and help you get it to market there's very very why, few out there that's why that's why we target founders that we believe have got the ability to sell because they are the yeah. if the founder can't sell at the start no one else is going to be able to right you know ultimately yes we 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 have play a, a pretty big role in helping our founders get to where they need to get to but they're the heroes we're there just to support them you know mm. we're that's that's our job we don't want to be the heroes we want to be their their, their guides to help them get there exactly. but, but yeah they, they they need to be able to sell and and I think you're right. I think maybe if maybe if either they don't enjoy selling or the sales aren't going quite as they expect, you you have this um, this you know angel comes into an interview with this black book. Oh yeah, it's going to be absolutely fine. And you know that you you know it always takes three to six months to see whether it's going to work or not, and it doesn't. And as you say, it's because there isn't a set, there isn't a great process, there isn't um, a clear value proposition. They've got they haven't got product market fit yet. You know. Yeah. Um, and just, what likely was happening over that 
sorry, just really quickly, likely what's happening over that three to six month period as well is at the same time as them trying to sell what is kind of being figured out, there are pivots happening. And you say, okay, actually yeah. now we've changed. We're going to be doing this. We're going to be doing that. And they're like, but, you know, so it is, I think it is on both sides fault, you know, to, to put the, you know, people into that position. It happens time and time again. I've been in that position as a salesperson in my, you know, early stages of my career um, back when I did that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, uh, and it's not fun because it's like, you know, that it's just making you look bad when it's, it, yeah. but when it's kind of out of your control. So like you said, I'm a huge proponent for founder led sales in early stage stages of companies for that exact reason. Otherwise you are just pissing away a year's salary on someone um, for no reason when something that you should be doing yourself. And then plus you get to a stage where you have a great bullshit detector for it later on, yeah. not to mention a much clearer understanding of what your commercial strategy but should you need, be. You need to talk in direct, direct, direct to your customers. You need to hear from them 100%. Why, why they're not using it or if they're using it in a certain way or always kind of stuff it's vital go back to what you, you you said before about resilience and grit i think mm. i think you said res resilience we use the word grit quite a lot right and yeah, i yeah. think i think it's so much of the success it's just hanging i mean if we look at our portfolio companies the ones that we worked with five or well, still work with some most of them now five six seven years ago um the ones that are now at series a um mm. And doing, you know, some of them pushing three million ARR, you know, really, really doing, you know, really good, good revenue and got product market fit, got got where they, you know, got where they've got to. Obviously, we we played a part, but but you look back at that and the founder and their ability to keep going, go and manage to raise a bit of money when it looked like they were going to run out, you know, make the really tough calls to have to let people go if that's what they had to do go and win that one or two clients that just manages to get them through, you know, that it really is that grit and resilience that you just need to be yeah. able to keep going longer than, than other people. People give up far, just far too quickly. And I know mm -hmm. it's a balance because I know it's a balance because, you know, if you're, if you're barking up the wrong tree, then you should quit. And I don't know. It's very hard to know what that right balance is. Um, mm -hmm. But, I look back at our portfolio companies and I think that is the number one trait. It's it's grit, determination, keep going, but in a way where you are learning as you go. Be humble enough to know that you don't know everything and you'll just be a constant learner. Um, mm. you, 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 you mix that with some domain expertise and grit and determination, you've got a really good chance of, of getting somewhere. 100%. Yeah. Who wants a unicorn when you can have a cockroach, right? Those fuckers never mm. die. The new one, the new one is a uh, tortoise, you know, slow and steady tortoise. wins the race. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Tortoise. I've heard donkey as well recently. And then where was it? I went to an event recently and what was it? She was on about, she was on about something, some really weird animal. Um, <laughs> yeah, animal. It seems to be, yeah, yeah. It seems to be a new trend now to try and just try and come up with the, the unicorn alternative. Yeah. Um, the biggest reason I think being that we're talking about animals that actually exist, which is probably <laughs> says a lot. <laughs> Good point. What do you mean? What unicorns yeah. don't exist? Uh, sorry to break it to you, but no, I'm afraid not. <laughs> no. no, but at least they're they're not they're not um yeah they're not as as uh, prolific as we'd have hoped anyway. No. But um 
Yeah, no, I, th I think it's it's a really interesting conversation. And like I said, it always kind of comes back to this at some point. And, you know, perhaps we're going to sound like broken records a bit for, for those who, who listen to all of these, which I, I doubt there's many people out there that listen to every single one of these episodes. <laughs> but uh, but I hope there would be. Um, uh, but yeah, I, and, uh, you know, the, the other key um, sort of determining factor I've noticed for, for a certain level of success with um, with founders is that is that self-awareness bit too right which is which is hugely important and that kind of goes to your point about um about knowing where that line is with but you know potentially barking up the wrong tree that is a, that is a really difficult thing like you know like i said i spoke to a lot of people who really shouldn't be you know pursuing a certain thing and that's a very hard thing to tell people but i think the reason why it's important when clearly there is no viable business in you know in, in someone's idea um to say this isn't a viable business you shouldn't pursue it is i i personally see that as a as a moral responsibility right you know if if i'm talking to someone who's potentially going to be risking their entire livelihoods maybe even that of their family by pursuing something yeah. that is not viable because I have insight that they don't like it's a moral ob ob obligation of mine to tell them that if you do this you will be fucking homeless like don't do this like please it's um, a it's a, it, yeah it's like a civic duty right <laughs> right yeah to a degree I think it is and also because you know they, that they probably don't get that from from other people because of you know generally people are too too kind to maybe rip off well, the band I think the point like, is the point is it's not maybe about saying that your idea is crap it's about saying okay can you go and tell me 20 go and get me 20 people that have said that if you build it they'll buy it or you know yeah, have you built right. have you built have, can you show me the validation from you know if you built a quick prototype and if you got them to run through it or can you show me the research where you know where where the, clearly this need is there so i think you can, you you can you're much kinder than i am i just tell them it's crap well you can you can just <laughs> Because, because the thing is, is that you know the these people, the, the people that have got this terrible idea, there might be a good founder, right? So right, right. You don't want to put them on. No, I would say that you know it's not, it's not the. It could be even the space might even be right, but it's just mm -hmm. the actual solution that you've come up with is completely wrong. And if you're if you're a founder, you know, yet again, this is a massive cliche, but you have to fall in. And, and yet again, some people massively disagree with this, but I think it's true. You've got to fall in love with the problem. You know, mm. you can fall in, you can fall in love with it in a business sense and be like, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not, it's not like a way, it's not like my biggest life passion, but fall in love in a business sense. I think there's a business idea here mm. with the problem, not with the solution. If you change that mindset as a founder to this is the problem that I'm solving for my customers or my users, rather than this is the solution i'm building for those customers and i don't, I don't care whether they whether that problem exists or not you can just slightly pivot that thinking then you're way more likely as a founder to get full less in love with the solution and find you you will find because it probably isn't that first solution that you think of you'll find something to build so i just try to encourage founders to make sure that they've done the proper research on the problem validation first rather than just jump rather than just jumping to the solution that's where it almost always goes wrong and then the founder's got in the head what it's going to look like it's going to be this app it needs to do that it needs to have all these features and it's going to have a wearable and it's going to be this and it's going to be that it's like well yeah. you know unless you've been doing this for 10 20 years you know you're you're almost definitely wrong almost definitely mm -hmm. wrong um and i agree with you it's a moral duty civic civic duty whatever you want anyone to call it just to just to make sure that they rethink that um because mm -hmm. that's that's ultimately why 90% of startups fail, right? It's because the the thing that they um, 
the thing that they think at the start ends up not being true. And and also I'd add as well that this is this is I think really important for motivation to go through that process too because of actually one of the, the biggest blockers for a lot of people even starting their own business or you know wanting to to, to delve into entrepreneurialism as a whole is is not knowing where to start or, or like you said that sort of that that concern that worry for potentially failing so because of that they just don't want to put that one step forward but actually no if you know that that one step that you've got put forward for that one step you've got to put forward is just speak to people about your idea and speak then go and speak to more people about your idea and increase the degrees of separation between you and them each time you do it so that they are as unbiased as you can possibly get like i think that's a pretty straightforward step right like that that's that's a pretty easy one to to get into other than incorporating a company building a website registering a domain like spending a spending ten, spending 10 grand spending 10 grand on branding before you've actually right. done anything else i mean it's like honestly that, the amount of times i've had founders come to us and you'd be like right this is what you're doing like, oh, well i've already spent 10 grand on branding well why why have you done that yeah um you've nothing yeah, to brand. Totally, <laughs> yeah you've got nothing to brand uh, i totally agree it's a fantastic book can't remember the name of the author called backable um and he says in his book that you um before you go out to market start raising money to get someone to back you you need to as the founder absolutely 100 percent believe in your idea and mm. go and talk to some people and pitch the idea and then get the reactions and then see if you still really really believe in it because mm. if you don't you're not going to be able to raise money you're not going to authentically be able to go out there and raise money because the back of your head you're going to have this lingering doubt is this actually a good idea or not so yeah you know must go and do the research and if you do then pull the trigger do it in the cheapest possible fastest way and just get something to market mm -hmm. yeah no, that's great advice and, and what, how do you do you advise people go about that because like we just said it's the simplest most practical step i i just gave the example of like just go and speak to people but what would you say is like a, a good way of being able to do that this day and age if, if especially if it's a quite a a, a unique um sort of set of individuals yeah, I mean, right, in it, in it. I think it I think it depends obviously on your your situation right are you you know are you um relatively high up in an organization and if you spotted a problem in that specific industry then you know mm. can you do something within your work you know can you can you try and get some budget and build it as an internal product um you know at least at least at least to start with but yeah I think I think I think talking to people building a prototype or you know if you have got that kind of money where you can put five grand into something then you know as long as you've done the right validation still then then that's a good way of getting going but just trying to do something as cheap and as quick as possible and then caveat there if you can do something offline why not why not why not do something that's service-led to start with because then you're you're really proving it i mean it's never i don't think there's ever been a better time to start something i just don't know whether there's whether it's an amazing time to scale something right yeah you that's know? an interesting yeah that's an interesting point yeah you can you can maintain a, a decent level of income uh as as a business owner these days but actually bringing it to the next level and scaling it to a decent size team and so on is 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 harder there's the, that 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 chasm has got a lot wider in the last few years for sure yeah 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 great yeah yeah absolutely um i want to ask you about talent um briefly you spoke about the scaling process and and how you've hired you know people um 
with a certain skill set and you know you're saying about hiring people better than you that's that's a bit of a cliche but it's a very true one um what what would you say was sort of some of the 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 the, the the principles or processes you put in place to achieve that because it's quite a difficult it can quite often be a blind spot right it's it's a difficult thing to know where your skill set uh what the limits of your current skill set or knowledge are and you know what what other people can bring to the table so it's how did you especially in the early stages of scaling how did you address that because that's that's a, that's a difficult one isn't it so uh yeah I, i've made tons of mistakes in the past i think i've got it right now made tons of mistakes in the early in, in the early and mid times um so yeah a few few things you have to be absolutely crystal clear honest of yourself and where your gaps are and if you haven't got self-awareness then you know you're going to really really struggle um i think that is so important you know mm. i know what i think i'm good at well i'm pretty sure i'm i know what i'm good at and what i'm not good at and then you need to hire people around that and you know prioritize um those hires in the right order don't don't just get what you think or what you're told you need get what you actually need for you you know you know your business way better an advisor coming in or whatever um second thing yeah don't always have to be full-time so if you do want that senior marketing person that's what you think you need just as an example i do actually think these fractional i think these these fractional roles are are, are pretty good you know mm. um i do actually think it can, I think that it can work as long as you've got. Yeah, I do a couple of fractional executive contracts every year, and, yeah. and they prove to be highly value, valuable for the for the business the I, startup. I, I really think I really think in those sort of earlier years when you haven't got the budgets to hire someone, and yet again, do you do you really need that super 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 senior person? Just make sure I think whoever you get as an advisor or fractional, they they have to do the work. I just don't know whether there's yeah. any point in them coming in and just telling you what you should do i mean you can you can read about that in a book or watch you watch something on youtube right you, you need you need doers another massive cliche but has 100 percent been true um to me and like i said i think i've really got this right recently we've got this right recently you know higher for higher for culture mm. over over skill set and yet again it's it's a cliche i get it uh, and it's a balance there's no point having an amazing culture fit and someone that just fundamentally cannot do the job but if you can err on the side of culture, the rest of it can be learned. Um, and I think trying to find those people, I mean, your specific question was about scaling, right? So I think trying to find those people that maybe, you know, are at director level that want to become C, C-suite, you know, yeah. I think that that's a really good, um, that's a really good sort of use case or, or you know, fit, I think. Um, like career ambition. Career ambition you know that's an opportunity that you're going to give them that maybe someone else won't it means you can mm. give them a great autonomy um it, it means that they really want to prove it to themselves and to you and, and for their career especially if you cut them in on some equity and you know make sure that they benefit from the future of of the company you know they're ready to take that next step you know that's mm. really hard you've got to find the right people that are ready and that they're, they're not going to just sink and you might not always get that right mm. um but i would Personally, from knowing what all I know from the last eight years, I would do that rather than go bring someone full time in who's who's got that 10, 15, 20 years experience. I'd have that person as an advisor or as a fractional person. Um, and then when the time was right, I would I would hire those people that are just at that point where they're about to go to the C-suite. Mm. Well, they're, they're hungry, aren't they? And that helps. Hungry. When, yeah. When it comes to um, 
what you mentioned there about uh, about culture. So, so it, there seems to be an interesting tipping point when it get, when you start to get to a certain size of an organization where really the culture starts to take on a life of its own to to a point, right? Well, like you said, yes, you are the one setting the tone for that, you know, quite often, and you're almost a custodian of the culture. But but you and the executive team at a certain point can only do you know so much. It, it, it breathes its own life into it. You know, your team are hiring additional team members. Uh, it's yeah. it's it's a, a self perpetuating machine at some point. Um, do you do you ever get concerned with some of the rhetoric that's kind of out there at the moment um that, that's quite divisive you know let's be honest like a lot there's a lot of divisive rhetoric out there and especially as it as it relates to the workplaces um given the sort of the scale of where you are now and not having that direct level of of, of oversight on culture like what what do you maybe put in place to to mitigate that like what was the divisive stuff What's the divisive stuff you're talking about, like like remote working and? Well, no, I'm I'm talking more sort of the the you know the the identity politics discussions, the discussions around uh, yeah, and and that too, you know, any everything's very divisive. Every subject divides people now, right? It's never been more a divisive time. It feels like I don't know if maybe that's just nostalgia kicking in, but it seems like everything there's it's it there's there's a debate to be had about it, and the workplace has become that 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 um that very delicate place for a lot of people now. Um, mm. Because they feel like they it, can't have open conversations about you know certain things and their opinions and the way they feel. So how do you how do you sort of manage that in a, in in such a sort well, of a team now that's got to that scale where these things can be quite explosive and cause a nightmare of sort of you know HR potentially. We have um we have we we have we have our DNA written down, uh, and every person that joins sees it in the um, sees it in the interview process. Mm. It's part of our um is part of the you know like the the discussion between manager and uh, and team member you know about mm. how they're doing in the company you know a, a percentage of their feedback isn't just based on the quality of their work it's based on have they have they um adhered to our dna um right. and, and one of those things is we just we, we we're not we're not a political company right so mm. i just think there there are certain things that you know um maybe just aren't right to be spoken about at work or you know so for us it's about it's about finding those people that don't want to be necessarily massively involved in those kind of conversations at work you know um mm. and just being very and being and being very clear i mean we've we've never really had we've never had a problem with that we've never had a you know divisive issues or or, or issues that have got toxic or anything like that and that's good um i think um it doesn't mean that you can't believe in certain things as a business, but mm. um, I just think our job is to ultimately build a really nice place for people to work, to progress. Um, and culture as well. It's not just, I think often people think culture is just, is it a happy place to work? Mm. Um, culture means way more than that, right? It's like, do you take risks as a company? Do you give people opportunities? Do you give them autonomy uh, to work uh, mm. in the way that they want to work? Do you give them chances? Is there the ability for them to you know, uh, um, get promoted at, you know, a faster rate than other companies. So I think this, this culture term can be a bit fluffy. Um, yeah. yeah. And people think it's just a place where everyone's nice to each other. You know, culture is also about, are you, do you create an environment where people can challenge each other? Mm. We, 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 it's a hundred percent been more difficult for us since COVID, since things are remote, we've got people scattered everywhere. Um, I think we do a decent job 
you know, we are, I'd like to think we do. Our retention is pretty good. So there's obviously something that we're doing, but, you know, we're far from perfect and there's so much more. So, so are you guys fully remote now? No, we're, we're hybrid. So we have a offices, uh, we have offices in India, offices, um, offices in India, but we've got them now scattered all, all around India, where originally it was just in one location. Mm. We, we were originally just in London um, and we were in most days or maybe three or four days a week. And since COVID, we're, it's way less than that. So there's definitely challenges that come with that. Mm. Um, and I think we as a company need to get better at it. Um, it's hard. You know, there's some people that I haven't seen for two or three weeks or I don't talk to. That's mm. difficult. So it's, it's, I would say it's harder in that sort of hybrid environment. But I think we do an okay job on it. And like I say, it's, it, culture isn't just about being a happy place to work. It's also about opportunities and, and the environment that you create. And I and I think you you hit the nail on the head there because if if anything I think that that's become more of a realization for a lot of companies who have, have who have embraced this hybrid or remote model and realized a friendly reminder to share this episode with your network like comment and subscribe it really helps the show and only takes a couple of minutes saying that you know that the culture isn't indicative of the fact that you have a physical location where everyone meets the culture now that people are working from home a lot of the time is embedded in the way that they generally feel about their place of work wherever they are in the world right and at that time and so it has to permeate through every interaction through your policy yeah. through your process through your operations it has to be more than surface level just like what type of beer do you serve in the canteen or yeah. you know shit like that it has to be a lot more than that because that isn't enough these days and that, 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 that i think that's a really good thing because it's removing that surface level bullshit associated with culture that, for a lot of companies a lot and making them have to sort of look in the mirror a bit isn't it i think if you're, if you're it gets really difficult from like 30 40 staff upwards you know mm. below that as the founder or the founding team or the first hires you can really influence it you know, mm. if there's an issue, if there's if there's someone that isn't adhering to the cult, the culture that you you can very quickly spot it and you can just deal with it. Once you get over a certain point, it's way more difficult, um, and it's really hard. The size of company we are is probably kind of like in the middle, right? You know, we're not we're not big enough yet in that we can have a you know an enormous HR team. We do have an HR team, um, but we're also um, not small enough in the it's easy to spot things. So I think all things considered, we do a we do a decent job, but it's definitely something we're always looking to improve. Yeah, because you, you at that sort of size, you then start getting this sort of these almost subcultures, you know, in a right. way, don't you? Sort of create these these smaller groups of individuals, which is natural human behaviour, you know, in in large natural groups, you get smaller groups, and so on, you know, and it's uh, it's difficult. You don't want to you, you want to monitor it, but you don't want to be the monitor or policing of people's um, you know yeah. social interactions. So it's it's a it's a hard balance to strike, isn't I mean, it? You're, um, you're hiring you're hiring adults, right? You know, right? You know. Um, well, you'd hope so. you want them, you, <laughs> yeah. hope so. And you, you know, you, you you want them to act and think in a certain way, but yeah, within within re within reason within reason, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's difficult, and the, and then when you start mandating things or, or trying to police things, it just doesn't seem to uh, to help, does it? At the end of the day, like you said, oh. you're hiring adults. You need to you need to uh, trust people to that they're going to be getting on with each other and not be idiots to each other. Um, Correct. So yeah. Well, look. As we're coming to the last portion of it already, which is Zoom by, um, 
I'm, I'm curious to know, normally I kind of ask about, uh, towards the end, I ask about sort of tips for other founders and this and the other, but we've already covered quite a bit of that already. So instead, I want to switch gears a little bit. Let's talk more about, I want to know more about what tips you would give specifically for founders when they are looking at product, right? Because that's your, that's your bread and butter. So let's focus on that. So specifically about you know your specific thesis the types of founders you're looking for if they're looking at going from mvp you know bit of traction you know that that your ballpark kind of area what are the kinds of typically the kinds of things that you would want to be focusing on with them and and, and this could maybe act as a as a bit of a sort of um, advice to, to anyone listening who's maybe in that sort of stage what should you be looking at what are they going to be the first steps to upgrading that platform into a more robust version what are, yeah what are the, some of the things to expect from that that whole scenario perhaps so i think i think actually probably i think it's probably uh better advice maybe for the people that are maybe will listen to your show is just to go that step back okay. um and just just i think it's really just to reiterate what i said um at the start is and 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 fed through is that there are basically four or five reasons why your startup won't work and to to uh please consider them and to think about them and that is problem you probably think you're solving doesn't exist it's a vitamin not um not a painkiller you've got the the wrong team the wrong timing um or you've not got enough cash runway you know to which 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 is all linked and i think um i think that is the is the you know we need more we need more startups to succeed in this country right we've we've got the highest tax burden in the history of the in the history of of the country public services are not great nhs is really struggling so how are we going to get out of that we need to create more wealth right and probably not spoken about as much as it should be because i don't know we're british and maybe we find it a bit bit weird or a bit odd or whatever but mm, we basically yeah. need, we basically need more people to get rich <laughs> so that they can pay a shed load of tax to to to, to keep the society um that we all want to live in going um and if you're looking at startups we need more of those to succeed so it is that that those four or five reasons over and over and over and over and i think we talk about the slightly later stage it's usually the same thing right it's 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 a it's a it's a version of that i mean in terms of when people come to us and they are starting to digitize things i think as a founder don't think that your sole digitization opportunity in your business let's just say you're an offline business or you've got a little bit of tech in there don't think your sole digitization opportunities are on the front end i.e what the customer uh, sees right there is mm. enormous opportunity to digitize the, the back end of a business, the operations, you know, to, to, to build internal tools that will allow you to ultimately hire less staff, have a bigger gross margin, you know, uh, have more efficiency. So I think that is really a um, big part of what we do. You know, when we're going into these companies and we're digitizing them, yes, we're improving the, the front end relationship that they have with their customers, but we're also building a ton of stuff in the back end that is, is going to allow them to scale way faster without hiring as many people um in terms of the 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 um the tech and the product side um i think i think going over your you know sense checking your value proposition and your go-to-market 
So even though there's, there's, there's an element of product market fit when we start working with these companies, we still go through a whole discovery process and make sure that the go-to-market is right, make sure that the, make sure that the, the, the proposition is right, and we usually tighten it up uh, and, go through, and go through a whole process there. In terms of the tech side, that tech side's more my, my CTO. He'll be, he'll be able to do a better, better answer than me. Right, fair enough. So that's interesting. Why do you like to go over uh, that sort of stuff again, even, even though that they may well have uh, you know, shown that? Well, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna digitize it and you're gonna scale up, you know, mm. often they've got some kind of early product market fit, but they've also been through the prism of their either solo founder or a very small team. So having some fresh mm. eyes on it could be a different vertical. It could be a, a, a tighter um, proposition. It could be a slightly widened proposition. Um, you know, there could be opportunities that they're leaving on the table. Mm. I think. Often we're investing into, you know, like companies that have either got a version of product market fit or or, or just before it. So the, the additional value we can add uh, is often significant with just tweaking a couple of things. Right, right. And and some of those businesses, it was interesting what you said there about, you know, uh, that that um, digitizing often takes place on the back end of business from an operational standpoint. Presumably, that does mean that there's potential for future commercialization of those solutions to other enterprises is that yeah, something that, that, that has happened with some of the existing portfolio companies you've worked with or is that maybe something yeah. that they would be looking at in terms of a white label solution to bring that out I, th I think particularly when you invest into what we call proper businesses what i spoke about before you know uh you're building you're building software that is going to make their business better but mm. if it's working for them and their industry there's no reason why you can't then go and license it out i mean I, I can't go into details on this, but we're literally having a conversation right now with one of ours, literally around that. How do they scale internationally? And rather than rather than building their business, um, you know, and getting a footprint physically, internationally, we're talking about just licensing the technology and almost doing like a quasi-franchise. Um, yeah. You know, so it's exactly that. Once you become, once you build some great tech, there are, there are, really clever ways that you can scale maybe ways that you didn't think about when you first started the business but if you can build a proper business these days that's got revenue that isn't solely reliant on the tech then it it it, it kind of goes against what you probably would think someone that runs a venture studio would say that is building tech companies but i think that that thinking is going to serve you in really good stead at the moment um mm. because money is just going to sort out so many problems at the moment because what we're seeing, what we're seeing less, what we're seeing is it's harder now to keep raising rounds when you haven't quite hit the metrics that you said you were going to. Whereas mm. in the past, you could probably manage to keep raising, give yourself enough oxygen to get to the right point. Or you even know, if you have hit the metrics you said you were going to. It's still harder, yeah. It's still harder, yeah. but definitely if you don't hit them. So if you can turn yourself into a proper company as quickly as possible, then 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 do it and focus on that more than anything. Mm. And then the rest of it will come. And reading between the lines, when you say proper company, it sounds to me like what you're you're kind of alluding to is just profit making company, right? At least break even, right? At least break even right. with with the ability to get to profit quickly. And then if you know if you do, then want to want to um, scale up, raise big VC funding or whatever. At least you're doing it from position of strength, right? Not right. not not oh, we've got this enormous burn that we need to support by further fundraising. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. Look, it's it's people will disagree with, with with what i'm saying but it's just 
no I, I, I i'm on board with you i think I've, I've been beating that drum for a while you know for quite a few years actually and and it's it's good to hear and i'm hearing more and more people say exactly what you're saying i think like you said though there's always and and i'm sure you you know we will both agree on this and many others would there's always room for those businesses that have an extraordinarily exactly. high burn that need that right yeah that's fine we we know that but yeah there needs to be more businesses that are that are that are actually profit making ideally um yeah. uh, and, and and like you said able to 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 continually be able to contribute to the economy that's a, and it's interesting because there's a couple of times you've mentioned that now about sort of you know what this country needs like you sound you come like it sounds like you're quite a patriotic person um in that regard so does is that a big part of does that play a big part in the way that you yeah. think about your business as a whole about wanting to contribute to the overall economy of the country and okay it is i think i think um what do you use we use that word civic duty before right i think mm. if you consistent if you consistently see startups and tech companies failing for the same reasons and you can do something about it um you know and i think i think we do need to highlight the fact that money has got to come from somewhere to pay for all these things mm. that we want to we want to pay for there isn't just this everlasting bunch of rich people that you can just keep you know bleeding dry they will either just leave the country or they'll or they'll tap out as well we have to generate new wealth and that mm. that come that only comes from starting new companies or or uh you know um creating more value from existing ones i.e digitizing them and you know making them into much into much bigger companies and selling them and paying tax on them and employing people you know um so i do, do you yeah, think that do. as a country that we 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 um we encourage the the proliferation of no, entrepreneurs i don't and... think we are i mean you go you go to america and you know if you succeed in america you're not derided you know if you look at the press that deliveroo got when they when they floated was i thought a disgrace you know this is uh, an american who chose to set up his business in the uk chose to float on the uk stock exchange and it flopped right and it was almost it was almost in the press it was almost like oh yeah it was always going to flop because it's a crap business model all this kind of stuff i mean you know i've got my own views on on the sort of 15 minute delivery uh, businesses and, and stuff like that but i mean what delivery have built is incredible um mm. and you know that we, we should be absolutely welcoming people like that that have, have, have built an incredible business and got it to that point but we're not you know and i don't know why I, I don't think it's I've probably been a bit more negative than I need to there. I don't, I mean, there definitely is an amazing ecosystem, an amazing startup ecosystem. Our invest, our invest, you know, SEIS, EIS, the investment ecosystem is, you know, we've just right. I think, uh, I think more VC funding this year has gone in than France and Germany combined. I, I, I think that's the stat, you know, so we're obviously good. I'm not, I'm not saying that we're not. I just think, um, I just think, I don't know whether the wider population are necessarily as encouraging of founders and entrepreneurs as as they should be um because, no I, because, i'd be inclined to agree with you i think there's a fundamental fundamental misunderstanding a lot of the time especially within tech the tech sort of realm of of what it means to be an entrepreneur or a founder in that space i think i think everyone wants to support their their neighbors who build a brick and mortar business uh to some degree yeah. They, at least verbally, I don't think they support them with their wallets, maybe as well <laughs> as they should. Um, but but um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's this rhetoric around 
especially, you know, it, it always comes back to these tech billionaires, right? It's always about, you know, yeah. criticizing them. And actually, I think that's a really moronic thing to do. They could be idiots. I don't know. I've never met them. I couldn't say, right? I can only go off yeah. of what's, what they post on Twitter or whatever. So it'd be a stupid thing for me to say that they're idiots um, based on that. But regardless of whether they are or not, it's it's not really the point. It seems like people have made their decision just simply out of jealousy more than anything else because these people are in a position of wealth, um, which didn't yeah. come out of nowhere. And I think people forget that. And yeah, public perception of, of founders as a whole, especially in tech, is problematic. I, I think, agree. I there needs to be more support all, of that. I think people think all business owners are automatically rich and don't necessarily right. see you know the, the effort that goes in and also how difficult it is to employ people. It's such a risk yeah. to employ to employ people that the, the the laws are, you know, yet again, more liberal than certain other countries around Europe. But, mm. you know, it's, also, it's, it's also just very fucking expensive to employ people. Expensive. And, and then it's and hard. equally, it's, it's equally as difficult, um, if not more so, and expensive to fire people too, which is... No, which exactly. is that's, that's my point. That's my point. You know, our laws are more liberal than France, for example. But, you yeah. know, it's still really hard. It's still really hard. Yeah. So um, I just think... Um, I think that I think a lot there's a lot look there's a lot of money that goes into grants there's a lot of money that goes into you know accelerators and and all this kind of stuff so there's definitely money that goes from taxpayers into it I don't know what the answer is I just think something is missing I don't know quite know what it is whether it's a a, a bit of a national um, I don't know just a bit of a national mindset on mm. on maybe trying to promote success and maybe there needs to be a slightly different social contract between people seeing that the, those successes turn into their lives being better. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, but oh, like I say, ultimately the tax burden is the highest it's ever been, or well, not ever. I think probably world war two, two I'm sure was higher, but um, mm. it's, it's certainly higher. Right. So, and, yeah, and, yeah. and actually the, the society <clears throat> is, is, is probably getting worse. So there's not, there's, there's something missing there um that i think we we need to get better at. but ultimately it comes down to how can we help you know we can't help with a lot of that stuff you know people way smarter and in government need to do that but what can we do we well, can maybe just maybe we can maybe we can maybe that's something to explore you know also collectively yeah. in the startup community what can we do to actually because i remember speaking about this with um a group of founders at an event i went to recently in brighton where we were t i was talking with a group um after after the keynote about exactly this because of one of the subjects come up about well what can what can individuals the everyday people do to support um it was specifically around startups for good right and i and, yeah. and something that was astonishing to me that wasn't mentioned in the keynote was the fact that they can vote with their with their wallet they can they can vote yeah. with just signing up signing up to be beta testers to things like there are yeah, there yeah, are yeah. a myriad of ways and i feel like that we're not doing enough actually as a community of founders and startups to yeah, to actually speak to people outside of our direct our, our ideal customer profile mm. the focus is always especially if we're b2b which is like what you do and predominantly with my clients are it's like we maybe yeah. we should be doing a bit more in an exercise of pr to actually help the wider startup community to be like yeah. you know we want your input we want to know what we can do in our local community and this and ever. I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe there yeah. is. But there's enough but on think, the fucking plate to do as a founder. <laughs> so. well, I think what, the way the, the way I look at it, what what I think founder and lightning can do is we can we can help more startups and more tech companies succeed, which ultimately is going to create wealth for the founder, which is going to create wealth for the country, which is going to create jobs. We can invest mm. into a thesis that we believe is underserved by by investors in the VC community, mm. which is 
digitization, building sustainable companies, tens of millions of exit rather than hundreds and not looking for moonshots. And we can also make sure that the founders we invest into are diverse and that we were maybe investing into people that aren't traditionally given uh, an opportunity, um, you know, whether that's whether that's gender or background or whatever. So those are the things I think we can control. And that's what we're doing. Mm. The byproduct of that is that hopefully that's a small part of of of, of making the country better as well. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I, think that's, I think that's a really important thing to have as a, as a North, North Star to some mm. degree um, for, for, for you and, and the company. So that's, all, that's awesome to hear. I love that. Um, well, cool. Look, we're coming towards the end. So um, I, I just want to take these last couple of minutes to, to thank you for jumping on. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, you've caught me, like I said, in a, in a weird week. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm technically off this week. I'm okay. doing something. I post, I posted about this recently, so I'm currently in strategic leave at the moment, which is something I posted oh, and I explained I about it. recently. I saw it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's an odd time. So my, my brain is kind of all over the place at the moment, ripping apart everything I've been, you know, I'm doing and all the ventures I'm involved with. So it's, so if I've seemed a bit spaced out during this conversation, I promise it's not oh, you. It's me. I, 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 didn't, uh, I didn't get that impression. At all, <laughs> oh, good. Oh, that's good. But, okay. Um, that, oh, you might. I, well, that's I, just I how I am. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no but i i have felt like it's sort of in a bit of a dreamlike state this week because i kind of get into that trance-like state you know looking at everything from a very different perspective but um but no look, look man so i really appreciate you coming on right. and uh we'll definitely have to do round two because if i feel like we were just getting into uh scratching the surface of some of that stuff there we were just touching on with in terms of like you know uh in terms of yeah the, the, the last couple of topics but in the meantime we'll keep in touch i'm sure and um thanks Greg. yeah and like i said uh, i think it won't be very long until i come across a couple of people that i should be making introductions to you uh fantastic soon hopefully yeah sounds great thanks Greg. have a great day you too have a great uh, day and the rest Cheers. of the week we'll speak soon Cheers. Bye, Take bye, care. Bye. thank you for listening and or watching please like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comments below